We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 51. Today's class has been generously sponsored in memory of a great woman, Alice Nakash Bat Nehama, by her family. Amen. We are continuing our study of Simha, but specifically, we are studying the subject of pleasures. If you don't mind just closing that door, those doors, thank you. As was mentioned, when we started learning this subject, that pleasures, although is everybody's desire, is not a simple subject and needs to be studied thoroughly. We've only began the subject. We are so far involved in the physical pleasures, in the, we call them fifth class, and we already had learned that the sacrifice that one must invest in order to maximize their physical pleasure in this world is to know how to live by the boundaries. Because when we cross the boundaries in this world, we will no longer be able to enjoy it. Certainly not as much as we could. So we've been discussing different boundaries that one must take and learn about. Today, we're going to be learning about one of the more important ones. Actually, every time we learn one, I feel it's the most important. But here goes. It says in Perkei Avot, Shimon Beno Omer. The great man, his name was Shimon. And he said the following. Kol yamai gadalti bena hachamim. He wants to tell us a little bit about himself. I guess that's important for his statement. Not every statement in Perkei Avot tells us about who the person was and what they were doing with their lives. But Shimon decided to tell us that his entire life he spent, he grew up with wise people. He says, but I haven't found laguf. I haven't found for the body tov something good. Ella shetika. He says, I haven't found something as good for the person as silence. So let's review this one more time. He's telling you that this is not, I'm not a person that was living in some deserted island. I'm not a person who grew up without any direction or rabbis or great family. Rather, my whole life I was surrounded with wise people and wisdom. That means I heard it all. 
I've seen it all. So I'm qualified to make this statement. Only someone who has seen it all can say this. He's after seeing everything and learning everything. I can tell you that the most beneficial thing for a person is shetika, silence. Perhaps that's what Shlomo Melech says. That's what he means when he says in Mishle, Shomer Piv Ul Shono, a person who watches their mouth, Shomer Mitzarot Nafsho, is automatically watching troubles from entering his life. So a person's not watching from troubles, he's watching his mouth. But it's automatic. If you watch your mouth, you're saving yourself from sorrow. Which means that sorrow comes from the mouth. Now I translated the word shetika as silence. I'm never going to say in this class again the word silence. Because it's the wrong translation. Let me explain what the word shetika means. When you think of silence... So you think of someone who's sitting quietly because they have nothing to say. They're silent. They're quiet. That's not what the word shitika means. Certainly not here. When he says, I found that shitika is good, he's not talking about a person who has nothing to say. There is no compliment to someone who has nothing to say and they keep quiet. Shitika means that you have something to say. It may even be something good to say. It may even be something important to say. Something correct to say. But yet, you have the ability and you have the wisdom not to say it. That's called shitika. So it's not a silence because you don't know what to say. The opposite. You know what to say. You have what to say. But you decide that you're not going to say it. So from now on, we'll use the word shetika. I'm afraid that silence gives off the wrong idea. And if that's what shetika means, so we realize already just by hearing that, that it's not so easy for a person to keep their mouth shut in general. But when they have something to say, it becomes very difficult. It's one of the great human desires to speak what's in our minds, to share what we heard, what we saw, to give instruction or to give reaction to things that we feel are appropriate. In fact, one of the great ways of making teshuvah, we know that fasting is one of the things that we do for teshuvah, where we stop eating. But yet our rabbis tell us that fasting from speaking, we call that ta'anit dibur, is also a great way of teshuvah. It's also 
suffering, that a person is unable to speak. In fact, the Gemara says, Ma umanuto shel adam ba'olam hazeh. What is the trade of a person in this world? A trade usually means something that I use to do to make money. I become a carpenter, I could become a doctor, I could become a lawyer, a businessman. That's called a trade. I learn something. I learn how to do something. Either to make something or sell something. But here we're not talking about business. Actually, he's talking about the most important business of a human being's life. And that's the business of himself. So what's our business? What's the greatest thing we can do for ourselves? Not for our money. Ma umanuto shel adam ba'olam hazeh. Shockingly, the Gemara says in Masechet Hulin. And it backs it up with a pasuk. It says, Yasim atzmo ke'ilem. Basically, it means to learn how to keep his mouth shut. The Gemara says in Masechet Kiddushin. You know, it's always important to know whenever we study something, the great value of what we're studying. The Gemara Kiddushin gives us such a, an understanding. The Gemara says that one time Ola went to visit Pumpedita. That was a city in, in Babel where most of the Jews were after the exile. This was a great city of Torah and he went to the house of Rav Yehuda and he saw that in Rav Yehuda's house there was a fine young man by the name of Rav Yitzhak, his son. Who was not married? So Allah tells Rav Yehuda, he says, could you tell me why you're not marrying him off? He says, I'll tell you the truth, I want to marry him off, but I don't know how to choose a bride for him. He says, could you give me advice? How to find the right bride for my son, he's a special boy. <coughs> he says like this, Amarle. He says, Zil Batar Shetikuta. He says, Go look for a family, and of course for a girl, that has the quality of Shetika. Again, it doesn't mean a quiet family, and it doesn't mean a quiet girl. It means someone who has control of their mouth that they know when they shouldn't be talking. Go find a family and a girl that has the midah of shitika, and you can go to the bank with that. He says that in Eretz Israel they would say that the family, if there are two families fighting, arguing, and one controls their mouth, they would say that family has great yihus, has some unbelievable roots in that family, some great lineage. That means the Gemara is telling us 
that the greatness of a person can be defined. Maybe there are other ways to define greatness. But certainly one of these ways is shitika. The ability not to talk. Or as we'll soon see how to use it in other ways as well. So therefore, back to our subject of pleasures. If we're going to be able to live a life of pleasure, this is one of the main boundaries that we must know how to keep. Before we keep it, we have to know what it is. So I did a little research on my own to try to categorize for you different ways of shitika. Because the word sounds so... It, it, it sounds difficult, but it becomes more difficult when you don't really know what we're talking about. So I'd like to give you different examples. I don't know if it's limited to only these examples. But I try to categorize it for you. I don't know if I'll get to all of them today. Different situations in life and different types of shitika that there is in life. It's not as simple as we might think. It's easy to get up here and say, okay guys, just watch your mouth. Don't talk what you're not supposed to and walk out. But I don't think I've given you much if I say that. So I'd like to give you real examples of different types of situations and different types of shitika that will apply and we need to know what the boundaries are. So number one, there are times in life where what you have to say actually is good and it actually makes sense and is actually helpful but yet you need to keep quiet and you can't say it usually you think of shitika as the wrong thing to say I shouldn't have done that I hurt this person I did that but there are some times where shitika seems to be right on all accounts. But it can still be wrong. The perfect example that I can find for you is the story of Yosef at Sadiq. We're now about to start reading the parashiyot of Yosef. And one of the big questions that the Mefarshim ask on this great man is that after he was sold and ended up in Egypt, he had so many opportunities to send his father a message and tell him that he's alive. He knew his father was suffering. He could send a message. He could send a telegram. He could send a messenger. But Yosef never sent a message to his father. Not only that, even after he came to Egypt, he lived far away from his father. So the question they ask is, how come he didn't send any messages? Did he not care about his father? Did he forget his father? What happened? So actually, the first opportunity that Yosef had to tell his father that he was in Egypt. When he was a slave, he couldn't do it. And then it says he was sold. 
and he ended up in Potiphar's house, the assumption is he wouldn't be able to do it then either. But then the Pasuk says that as he became, his master became familiar with him, the Pasuk says he saw that he had tremendous beracha with this Yosef. And the Pasuk says, Vayazov kol asher lo beyad Yosef. He basically told Yosef, everything's in your hands. You're in charge. Basically it means that he did not get involved at all. He didn't check the books, he didn't look at he, he didn't sign the checks, nothing. He told him you're fully in charge of my home. And interestingly, in that Pasuk, look how that Pasuk ends. The Pasuk I just read to you. The Pasuk that says that he gave him everything. He's in full charge of everything. The Pasuk ends. It's not a new Pasuk. The same Pasuk says, Vayhi Yosef yefetoar vifemareh And Yosef was a beautiful person. Those words are so out of context. Those words should have been shared with us when Yosef was introduced. Those words perhaps should be the beginning of the story of Potiphar's wife. Why are these words the end of the Pasuk that tells us that Potiphar trusted him and gave him everything? What does that have to do with him being beautiful? That's not why Potiphar trusted him. He trusted him because he saw the beracha. He saw how ne'eman, how trustworthy he was. What does the beauty of Yosef have to do with this pasuk? And our rabbis explain, because it was this moment in Yosef's life in Egypt, was the first moment that he was able to send his father a message. He was in charge of the whole home. He could do whatever he wants. And says the Pasuk, but Yosef was beautiful. He wouldn't send the message. Why is not sending a message beautiful? Your father's waiting for you. I don't think I could say it better than the words of Rabbi Hirsch, Allah Shalom. Rabbi Sayyid Hirsch says the words like this. He says, What would Yaakov gain in getting one son back if in the process he would lose ten? Which means, of course Yosef wants to send his father a message, I'm alive. Of course, that would be the right thing to do. But is there anything that would come out of it that may not be so right? Is it really good for Yaakov to know the truth? What would happen? This is the boy that his brothers told him that he's dead. They showed him a piece of clothing with blood on it. 
supposedly his blood? What will happen to all of his brothers? Or better yet, what will happen to Yaakov's children? So is it worth it to tell Yaakov this important news when you're going to end up hurting your father Yaakov? That's called shitika. You're not saying anything wrong. But in the bigger picture, you're hurting the very person that you're trying to help. Because you're not seeing the full picture. You're only looking at yourself. You're only seeing the situation of you and the other person. Her says beautiful words. He says, in my mind, speaking about himself, Her says, this was certainly worthy of the wisdom of Yosef. So in that moment, says the Torah, Yosef is a beautiful person. His beauty is in his ability of shetika. Actually, you'll see, as we learn this subject, that some of the greatest accomplishments in life happened with people who kept their mouths shut. That was the accomplishment. Interestingly enough, there are only two people in the entire Torah that are described as Yefe To'ar, Vife Mar'eh. There are only two people in the entire Torah that got such a description of beauty. Yosef is one, I just read it to you. And the other one is his mother, Rahel. We see that when Rahel it says, Verahel Haita Yefat To'ar, Vifat Mar'eh. The Zohar and the Midrash don't, do not think that's coincidental. In fact, the Midrash says, basically the words are, throw a stick to the ground and it, w- and it will land near the place you found it. Basically it means what we say today, an apple does not fall far from the tree. Yosef's Yefet To'ar, the beauty of Yosef, came from the beauty of Rahel. Clearly it's not talking about their physical beauty. What beauty of Rahel did Yosef have? Well, if we see and look at Rahel's life, I think today everybody here who's ever been to Israel and has visited Kever Rahel, I think we'll agree that Kever Rahel has to be the most emotional place to visit in Eretz Yisrael. Beyond anywhere that you will go, you will find there people all the time with tears, with tefillot that you don't find in any other Kever. Not in Me'arat HaMachpelah. Not by the Kotel. Not by the Arizal or Rabbi Akiva. Kever Rahel is some special place that you walk into it and you already feel certain emotion. Why? What was so special about this woman Rahel? And why is her Kever such an important place? Well, if you notice that Kever Rahel is not even in a city. 
Kevin Rahel's on the road. They made a beautiful building out of it today. But even that building is on the road. Why did they bury her on the road? There's a beautiful Midrash. I wish I had enough time to go through every word of that Midrash. Because it's a Midrash that brings a person to tears. Basically the Midrash is a lengthy discussion of Hashem's response at the destruction of the first temple. When Am Yisrael went through the Hurban of the first Bait Rishon, it says in the Midrash that some of the great patriarchs stepped up to defend Am Yisrael, to bring them back home. And each one stepped up and explained why, because of him, the Jewish people should go back in his zechut, in his merit. For example, Abraham says to Hashem, Ribbono shel olam, what's going on? He says, you know, you gave me a son after a hundred years. And finally, he's 37 years old. He's an older young man. I raised him. You told me to sacrifice him. He said, and I did. I was like a cruel father. I didn't have any compassion because you told me. And you're not going to have compassion on my children? Hashem tells him, I'm sorry. Can't help you. Yitzhak comes in and says, Hashem, I was willing to be killed by my father. I didn't have to listen to him. Hashem said, I'm sorry, Yitzhak. Can't help you. And Yaakov came with his argument. Moshe Rabbeinu came with his argument. Moshe says, I led your nation for 40 years. He says, I ran in front of them, kesus, like a horse in the Midbar, in the desert. He says, please, could you bring them back to the land of Israel? Hashem says, I can't help you, Moshe. I'm sorry. Impossible. And then the Midrash says, Be'ota sha'ah kafza Rahel imenu. At that moment, Rahel imenu, she jumped in front of Hashem and she said, she says, Ribbono Allah, master of the universe, Galui lefanecha, you know that Yaakov, he loved me and he worked for me for seven years. I don't know if we'll find in history that a man worked seven years for free just to be able to marry his wife. Seven years working for no pay. Yaakov worked seven years. That's how much he wanted to marry me. And when those seven years were over and it was time to marry my husband, I knew that my father was up to possible no good. So we made a deal with each other so that my father wouldn't do any kind of underground work and put somebody else instead of me. And then, sure enough, my father sends Leah instead of me to get married. And Rahel, 
she gave her sister the simanim and she attended the wedding. I don't know what that feels like to attend your wedding when somebody else is getting married. The husband that you were waiting for for seven years is marrying your sister. And all you had to do was speak up. All you had to do was say, Yaakov, it's not me. But I didn't speak up. I kept quiet. Who could have blamed Rahel Imenu in that situation to speak up? Was she wrong to speak up? Is this not her shiduch? The answer is, it probably wasn't wrong to speak up, but in the bigger picture, it was going to embarrass her sister. An embarrassment that we can't imagine what that would feel like. That a bride would be turned away at her own wedding. So while she had the right to speak, but when you saw a bigger picture, it wasn't the right thing to do. And that shitika, could you imagine? Yeah, Abraham is killing his son. Yitzhak is dying. Yaakov, Moshe, all of what they accomplished, all of that could not weigh on the same scale as one moment of shitika. We think a shitika is not doing something. But we see here that there's nothing more powerful than shitika. Because at that moment, it says that she reached Hashem's compassion. And Hashem tells her, Bishvilech Rahel. She says, For you, I will return the Jewish people. As the Pasuk, the famous Pasuk says in Yirmiyah, Kol Berama Nishma, Rahel Mevaka Albaneha. That's why she's placed right outside of Jerusalem right outside of where they went into exile, that they would be able to pray in front of their mother and they would come back in 70 years. That's the beauty of Rachel. The beauty of Rachel is the same beauty of Yosef. Could you imagine that the two places, that two people in the Torah are called beautiful, in both of them, their beauty is in shitika. It's not what they did. It's not what they said. It's what they didn't say. This is one of the most beautiful, I could tell you, most beautiful midrashim and one of the most beautiful connections. The power of shitika. The beauty of shitika. It's a story I must have told a hundred times, but it never gets old. A story that happened a number of years ago. I'm sure there are many stories like it. 
There was a great rabbi, Rav Hutner, Alava Shalom, who was the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshivat Chaim Berlin here on Coney Island Avenue in Brooklyn. He was a great man and he had a lot of students. And one of his students who got married was having a hard time having children with his wife. And it was years. And this student would be in constant contact with his rabbi, whether it's for hizuk, for strength, for advice, for whatever it might be. Years, I'm talking years. All different things they did, they tried, filot, whatever it is. Nothing worked. And then finally, after many years, he comes to the rabbi and says, he has good news. That his wife is due to give birth. And then finally, they're at the hospital some time later, and this woman gives birth to a healthy baby boy. And we can't even imagine what that feels like. The first phone call after 10 years of not having a child. The first person he's calling, is calling the man that was with him for the last 10 years through all this difficulty to share his happiness. And he calls his rabbi. He says, Rabbi, I have great news. My wife just gave birth to a healthy baby boy. And he can't contain his happiness. He's crying. And the rabbi says, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you now. Call me back in a half hour. This man was broken. He cannot believe what just happened. No mazal tov, no wow, no I'm so happy, no great call me back, no nothing. No excitement. So hurtful. You cannot believe. Is that the right man? Maybe I called the wrong person. What happened? And he calls him a half hour later, like the rabbi asked. And this time the rabbi is a new person. And he's nonstop telling him how happy he is, how excited he is. And after all that, he says, oh, so you're probably wondering what happened a half hour ago. He says, well, I'll tell you, a half hour ago when you called me, I was so excited. I wanted just to tell you all my feelings. And then all of a sudden, then I realized that sitting in front of me is a couple who didn't yet have a child. And I caught myself. I said to myself, it's better that you suffer for 15 minutes or a half hour. And they suffer more. How would they feel when I shared that excitement of you having a child finally and they still don't have one? And again I say, is there anything wrong with wishing someone a mazal tov? Mabruk, what's, what's the issue? What am I saying so bad? But if you see the bigger picture, shitika makes a much better reaction. This is so relevant to our lives. Maybe today more than ever. 
Sometimes we talk to our friends about the home that we're building or the kitchen that we're renovating. Who's listening? Can they afford a home like yours? Maybe they're renting or can't pay their mortgage. You're doing your kitchen again. They don't have a kitchen that was even a tenth of the one you used to have. So is there anything wrong? Are you lying? Are you No. But are you seeing the bigger picture? Your children's success. Oh, my son just did great on his... Wait, who are you telling that to? What about their children? Do you think they have the same success? And if they don't, you think they're going to be so happy to hear that? Well, anything wrong with sharing my kid's success? There's nothing wrong, but in the bigger picture, it's not a good thing to do. The trip that you went on, that others didn't. You don't need to post trips. All of this is hurtful to other people. What am I doing wrong? I don't know if you're doing wrong, but you're not doing right. You're not beautiful. You're not a beautiful person when you do things and other people get hurt. Surely you didn't mean it. But if you were a greater person, you would know the ramifications. Anytime a person has success in anything, a person must be careful to see the bigger picture. Not everything that needs to be said should be said. And not everything that makes sense for one makes sense for all. That's the beauty of Yosef. Again, to review, his beauty was, of course, it was the right thing to tell his father. But in the bigger picture, it would cause more damage than good. So, Shitika, Rahel, she did the impossible. That was just an impossible thing. I still can't imagine. I don't think anyone can imagine. But in the bigger picture, having someone embarrassed in public is equal to death. That's what Hazal tells us. So she kept quiet. So that's one example of shitika. Shitika, even when you're saying something right and good, but in the bigger picture, it causes damage. <laughs> Another example of shitika. The Pasuk says, Mi kamocha ba'elim Adonai. Who is like you, Hashem, amongst the powers? Elim are powers. Who is powerful like you, Hashem? Comes the Midrash and says, the Gemara says in Masechet Gitin. Rabbi Ishmael says, Mi kamocha ba'elim? What power is the Pasuk referring to? When it calls Hashem powerful, powerful in what? Powerful in muscle? Powerful in wisdom? Powerful in what area is Hashem powerful? Mi kamocha. Who is like you that's so powerful? But powerful in what area? It says Rabbi Ishmael, Mi kamocha ba'ilemim. 
who is powerful like you that can keep quiet in a very difficult circumstance? And the Gemara says, like what? So it says, by Tito Sarasha, when he came and he took the parochet, the dividing curtain between the bit in the Kodesh Kodashim, Titus came and grabbed it. And he used it like a basket and put all the vessels of the Bet HaMikdash. It's Hashem's home. And he puts it in it and he takes it with him on a boat to take it wherever he's going. And Hashem kept quiet because that was for the better good of the Jewish people. Someone's entering your home. He's taking all your furniture. You keep it quiet. Yet Hashem kept quiet. He's Elam. In fact, one of the great strengths of Hashem, Mi El Kamocha, says the Tomer Devorah. What's Mi El Kamocha? Who's like you? So Hashem is considered Melech, the king of insults. He gets insulted all the time. Just look around humanity. Hashem made each person. He gave each person everything he has. Insult after insult after insult. In our own lives we can look back and how many times we insulted the creator who made us by either ignoring him, by not saying thank you to him, by actually going opposite of what he asked us to do. Imagine you did favors for somebody and he asked you for something and you ignored him. Or he ignored you, excuse me. You would be insulted. After all I did for you, you can't even do that. That's so insulting. That's how you talk about me? After everything I've done for you? Hashem is carrying insults all the time. Mi kamocha ba'elim. He keeps quiet, illemim. He keeps quiet because in the bigger picture, it's a better thing to do. Let me share with you something that we've shared a few years back. But it's such a critical thing to keep in mind in our subject. There's a pasuk in Kohelet that I ask every one of you to memorize. Either memorize it, write it in your phone, put it in a piece of paper and put it in your pocket, but don't leave this pasuk. This pasuk is a winner pasuk, but you have to have it with you because you probably will forget it. It's not a long pasuk, it's a very simple one. The pasuk says, Veha Elohim Yevakesh. It says that Hashem looks for someone, wants someone, needs someone. It's already a very big Hidush. That Hashem needs something. That Hashem wants something. I never knew that the word Mevakesh looks for applies by God. I knew that humans are Mevakesh. We always need, we want. Hashem wants, why would he ever want? What's there to want? Just do it. But it says, Ha'elohim Yevakesh. 
Hashem really wants something. Really wants it. What does He really want? Yevakesh et nirdaf. Hashem wants to be close to a nirdaf. Who is a nirdaf? Who is this person? And what does it mean that Hashem wants him? A nirdaf is basically a person who's being overpowered. Because of their weakness in a certain relationship, they are being abused. Not necessarily physically abused, but they're being overpowered. They're not able to say or to do because someone more powerful than them has them, they have them around their arms. For example, someone's paying their salary. They need the money. So they will tell them every word that they don't want to hear. They will put them down. But they can't do anything. They're stuck. Because they need to pay the bills. That person is called a nirdaf. Rodef is the person who's chasing. Nirdaf is the person being chased. A nirdaf could be in business. A nirdaf can be in a marriage. A nirdaf could be a child. A nirdaf could be friendships. A nirdaf could be in politics. Nirdaf could be in any situation in life. A person who is a nirdaf is someone who is being chased. Hashem says, Ha'Elohim yevakesh et nirdaf. He is looking for the nirdaf. He wants to be close to the nirdaf. Can I tell you what that means? That Hashem wants to be close to a nirdaf. What does that mean? Very simple. It means that if Hashem is close to you, it means you have something called si'ata dishmaya. It means that whatever you do, Hashem is there to help you. And if Hashem is there to help you, there is nothing that you cannot succeed in. Who doesn't want Hashem involved in their marriage? That's what Hazal say. If a man and wife have the merit, if the Shekhinah is in your marriage, you have a great marriage. It's called Siata Dishmaya. If you have Siata Dishmaya with your children, there's nothing to worry about. Great kids. Siata Dishmaya in your relationships, in your business. In everything that you do. In your growth, in your spirituality. You're sitting to learn. A lot of people sit down to learn. They don't understand anything. And some people have They're able to do. They're able to accomplish. There are projects that are going on. They get involved in. If you have There's nothing you can't do. How do you get How does Hashem help a person? So this is one of the ways. Ha-Elohim yevakesh. It's not that you have to look for Hashem. Hashem is looking for you. If you have the merit to be a nirdaf, excuse me, Hashem is looking for you. 
and the Midrash in Kohelet. This is an unbelievable Midrash. When I say unbelievable, means it's hard to believe it. Because the Midrash starts to give us examples in history of great successful people and their success was only because they were a nirdaf. And it's a shocking Midrash because every one of these people, we would know them, we, are, we do know them. And every one of them, if you would ask us the question, we would give you probably 10, 15 reasons why they should be successful. And none of those reasons would have been the ones that the Midrash gives. Example number one. I'm going to skip number one for now. Noah. Why was Noah successful? He achieved great success. The entire world was destroyed, except for him and his family. That's a tremendous success. How did he get that? So I, I know why. It says, Noah, Ish, Tzaddik, Tamim, Haya, Bedorotav. It says, he's a great man. Says the Midrash, yeah, he was a great man, but that's not why he was saved. He was successful because he was a nirdaf. Noah nirdaf mi doro. His generation, they abused him. They made fun of him. What are you doing? What are you involved in? What are you building? What are you talking about? He was an abused man. People would make fun of him constantly. Says the Midrash, that's why. He had siyata dishmaya. Next. Abraham. So tell me, why was Abraham a very successful man? Well, how many reasons do you want? Well, guess what? None of the reasons you could think of is the one that this Midrash brings. Says the Midrash, Abraham, you know why he was so successful? Nirdaf nimrod. Because he had a man, a very, very powerful man in those days. His name was Nimrod. And Nimrod was constantly on Abraham's heels. Constantly running after him. Chasing after him. Trying to make his life miserable. And that is why Abraham was very successful. Okay, who else? Yitzhak. Why was Yitzhak so great? Why was he so successful? Not so great. Why was he so matzliach? Again, says the Midrash. He was chased by the Pelishtim. So therefore he had Hashem with him. Yaakov Avinu. Why was he so successful? Says the Midrash. Because Esav was chasing him. So therefore Hashem was with him. And that's how he became successful. Yosef. Why was he successful? Says the Midrash. You know why? Nirdaf Ahav. Because his brothers were chasing him. You mean it wasn't because of all his qualities? No, I mean those are very important. But why he had siyata dishmaya, why he had such success in his life, is because he was chased. Moshe nirdaf mipene paro. Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest man that ever lived. Why was he so su- successful? Not because of his greatness? Says Midrash, no. Oh, but yeah, his greatness was that he was a nirdaf. Oh, was chasing him for many years. That nirdaf gave him, Hashem is looking for him and stayed close to him. And he had siyatat shmeya. Whatever Moshe Rabbeinu would touch, he would be matzliyah. Why? Because he was a nirdaf. 
The Midrash continues and says, Yisrael. And how come I'm Yisrael over the last 3,300 years? Has been so matzliach when the great empires of the world have disintegrated, no longer around, and this little nation that's dispersed throughout the world is still together and thriving. How did that happen? What is it that Am Israel has that has such siyata dishmaya? Says the Midrash, Israel near Dafim, mipene umota olam. It's because Am Israel is a near Daf. We're always being chased. And that is why we have Siyata Dishmaya. This is an unbelievable Midrash. What this Midrash is saying is that in order to have Siyata Dishmaya, it sounds like, I'm not confident what I'm saying, but that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like no matter how much you've accomplished, and no matter how great you are. But if you're lacking this midah called nirdaf, if you're not a nirdaf, so you're lacking a certain level of Hashem's assistance, and you won't be able to reach the highest levels of success. You need nirdaf. There are so many qualities that Yaakov Avinu had. Abraham Avinu had so many things to talk about. But yet, the one that got him to success is a nirdaf. In fact, the Midrash, that same Midrash says that when it came to korbanot, Hashem says, I want you to bring me korbanot. Bring me sacrifices. Says the Midrash, Hashem didn't ask for a lion. Lions you can't bring on the Mizbeah. cannot bring a lion. You cannot bring a tiger. You cannot bring an elephant. You cannot bring a bear. Why? Take out the word elephant. No bear, it says bear, no tiger, no lion. Why not? He said, no, bring me a shore. Bring me a sheep. Why? Says the Midrash, because the lion chases the sheep. I want from those who are near death. Don't give me from those who chase. I want those who get chased. Even though the shore, the ox, the cow, the sheep have no free choice. But it's a reality of this world. If you're a person that is called a nirdaf, if you have such a quality, if you have such a zechut to be a nirdaf, you are in very good company. You're in the company of the creator of the world. It's almost as if we should be praying for this. We should always be praying for someone to abuse us. <laughs> for someone to make fun of us. For someone to belittle us. For someone to mock us. For someone to talk down to us. For someone to try to derail our projects or derail where we're trying to reach. Because it seems like you can't get to the highest levels of success without it. So the good news is you don't have to pray. <laughs> Hashem puts enough people in the world. 
to give you enough rotfim. They could be in your home. They could be in your family. They could be in your on your block in your community. You don't need to pray for it. It's already there. It happens all the time. Someone said that about me. What? They said that about me. You know what's called? It's called a near daf. When someone talks about you and you're not there, you are a near daf. You are being chased because you're not there. And when you're not there, they have the power that you're invisible. And therefore, they could say whatever you want. They what they want. They could say you did this. They could say you are that. They could do whatever they want because there's nobody to argue. It's a free game where they are. So you are powerless in that situation. When people talk to each other about you, you are a nirdaf. So we have this midah without asking for it. We're constantly being nirdaf. We're spoken about, we're made fun of, we're questioned, and more and more and more. I don't want to give you too many examples, look at too personal. Look how, look how relevant this is. It says in the Pasuk, If a man has two wives, one of them he loves very much, one he loves less. And they had children, both. Says the Pasuk, the firstborn will come to the one that's loved less. The Pasuk over there is discussing how he gives out the inheritance. Torah is warning him, even though the child came from the wife you love less, make sure you remember he's the Bechor. He's the firstborn. Make sure you don't play games. The Torah should have said, if the child who is a Bechor comes to the wife who he loves less, and then discuss the laws. But that's not what Torah says. Torah says, and the firstborn will come to the Sani'ah. Says the Ora Haima Kadosh, what's going on? Rabbi Ban'el asked this question as well. Why does Torah say it like it's for sure going to happen? It should say, if, it could be. The one he loves will have a Bechor first. How do you know who's going to have a Bechor? Says the Ora Haim HaKadosh. Amar HaKatuv Bederech Vada'it. It's for sure going to happen. Why? Because since she is a Nirdaf, the second wife that he doesn't love as much, she's called a Nirdaf. When someone loves this one more then they love you, you're a nirdaf. Not only in marriages, in friendships. And because she's a nirdaf, guaranteed, she will have the child first. And the Ora Hayim brings a pasuk. The Abar Banel also brings a pasuk. A beautiful proof. Look at this proof. The pasuk says that Rahel and Leah got married to Yaakov. 
Says the Pasuk, Vayar Adonai Kisenu Alea. Hashem saw that Leah wasn't as beloved to Yaakov as Rachel. Vayiftah et Rahma. So he opened her womb. Verachel Akara. And Rachel remained barren. That means both Leah and Rachel were barren. So how did Rachel have children? And she had first. Pasuk says, because Hashem saw that she was a nirdaf. Hashem yevakesh et nirdaf. He looks for the nirdaf. Fortunate are you. Fortunate am I. If we get to be the level of a nirdaf. Now I bet you're all thinking, this class is a piece of cake. <laughs> because I'm a nirdaf all the time. I could give you stories daily. I'm ignored by my husband. My mother sometimes yells at me. The boss always tells me. I mean, how many people in your lives, they're always out to get you? But you might be asking, but where is the si'atad shmaya that you're talking about, Rabbi? I don't feel Hashem's assistance even though I am in nirdaf. So here's the warning. A nirdaf is a midah. Midah means it's a characteristic. It's not something that happens to you. Meaning when people do this to you, you're not automatically a nirdaf. A midah of nirdaf means it's your character. Let me explain what I added when I said it's your character. It says, Le'olam yehe adam A person should always be min nirdafim You should be from those who get chased ve'lo min harotfim and not those who chase. What are they trying to say? You should be from those who are nirdaf, those who get chased, but not the ones who chase. So perhaps it means something very simple. That as long as you're nirdaf, you have Hashem's closeness, and his assistance in everything that you do until you turn into a rodef. Let me tell you an example of how you could take a nirdaf and become a rodef. Somebody was speaking Lashonara about you and you heard about it and you say to the person who told you the Lashonara she says that about me? How dare she? Do you know what she did? Ah. You took a nirdaf. You were in nirdaf for a minute. And you just became a rodef. So if you're a rodef, you lost your nirdaf status. You're done. Or... A person is abusing you, and you say to yourself, you just wait. When I have the opportunity, 
Right now, I can't say anything, but the day will come. Right now, I'm powerless, but the day will come, and I will make sure to give it to you. Guess what? Rodef. You turned into a Rodef. A Rodef in potential, but a Rodef nonetheless. You're not a Nirdaf. Or how about this? And this happens very often, very, where a person is weak to one, but strong to another. For example, in my office, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. I get no respect in that office because I'm not very valuable there. But I have to pay the bills, so I work there. Everybody in that office abuses me. Everybody. The boss, the one under the boss, and everybody else. So I am in your death. Great. I listened to the first part of the class. I'm doing awesome. I should be a billionaire. But then I get home, and now I am the king of the home. For an hour a day, I get to be a king. And now, in my time as a melech, I abuse whoever is around me. I just say whatever I want, whatever I want, however I want. I just put people down, I make fun, I get angry, I belittle. Oh, so you're near daf or rodef? No, you're not a near daf. Because you're rodef. A near daf is a midah. Midah means it's your character. It's who you are. If you become a rodef simultaneously, you lost it. A nirdaf is someone who when someone talks about them, they do not respond in a way that's not proper. You're probably wondering, so should I be a doormat? Is that what you say? So I should never, I should just be abused my whole life and not say anything? I'm not saying that. Responding or abusing back is a very big difference. If somebody is talking Lashonara about me and I speak Lashonara about them, that's not called responding. That's doing the same thing they're doing. Responding could mean you pull them over to the side and talk to them. Responding could mean not saying anything. That could be a response too. You have to be big enough for that. But whatever the situation is, the response has to be appropriate and not abusive. Because once you turn into abuse, then you become a rodef and you lose your status. Such a biracha. Hazal always tell us, they say, Be from those people who get made fun of but don't make fun of others. Shom'in herpatan. They hear people talk negative of them. Ve'enam meshivim, but don't answer. I'll give you a beautiful story. I've shared this story once before, or maybe twice. 
There's a great sefer in one of these shelves. It's a book called Amude Or. Amude Or was written by a brilliant rabbi. His name is Rabbi Yehiel Heller. This book has all response to questions that was asked of him during his lifetime. People asked him all types of questions in halacha, and when he would res- respond, much like many of Hamavadiyah's books are response to questions. Many of the great rabbis, they have books that respond. The Amude Or is one of those books. But unlike every other book that you'll ever read, it's a responsa. You will find that at the end of every letter that he sends back, usually you'll find a signature of the name of the rabbi who wrote back, like Obadiah Yosef, Ben Sion Abashaul, Yosef Hayim. This one, in every one of his responses, look at this book and you'll see, he writes, He'aluv, the humiliated one, Yehiel Heller. Why does he write, He'aluv, the humiliated one, as part of his name and signature? So the story is that this great man, his grandfather, his mother's father, was a very wealthy man in the town that he lived in in Europe. And he owned a liquor store. And when he would travel on business, his daughter Rivka, who was a beautiful Jewish girl, he would put her in the store to help while he was away. And somehow in the city, somebody started rumors about this girl Rivka, this young lady. Terrible rumors that she was involved in inappropriate behavior for Bat Yisrael. And before long, these rumors found their way into every home and ruined her reputation. And she could not find the normal shidduch. A girl was supposed to have the top. Her father was a very prestigious person, a wealthy person, a religious person. And she had dreams of being married to this great scholar, Talmud Hacham. But that was no longer possible. And they waited and they waited and they waited. It wasn't happening. And finally, the father had no choice. And she found the shidduch with a man whose name was Aharon. Aharon was the assistant to the town wagon driver. He wasn't even the wagon driver of the town. He was his assistant. Just imagine where she ended up. And this wonderful Rivka, this prestigious young lady, she's under her chupa. And she says, she 
master of the universe, you know that these rumors are all unfounded. You know that I'm a fine Bat Yisrael. But due to people's maliciousness, I can no longer marry a Talmud Hacham as I had wished. And since she said the words that we say by the Barachot of the Haftarah every Shabbat, Vela'aluvat nefesh toshia bimhera be'yamenu, which means to the one who is deeply humiliated, bring salvation speedily in our days. And she said, despite the fact that I cannot marry a Talmud Hacham, please listen to my tefillot. And give me sons who are Talmidei Hachami. This woman brought into the world <clears throat> four Talmidei Hachami. One of them is the Amude Or, the book I mentioned before. Another one is the Hosen Yehoshua. Another big Talmud Hacham. His books are very well known. And two other great rabbis in Am Yisrael. She had four huge Talmud Hachamim. And in tribute to his mother, her son writes in every Teshuvah, He'aluv, recognizing that all the Siyata Deshmaya that he has in his accomplishments and what he's done in his life came from his mother, who was a nirdaf. Being a nirdaf puts you in a very special place. It puts you with very special company. Don't lose it. How to react? That's a good question. But you gotta keep your status as a nirdaf. That should be your status for the rest of your life. I am nirdaf. That's the power of shitika. That's the power of Hashem. Mi kamocha ba'ilemim. We say, Hashem, you're so awesome. People insult you all the time. You just keep quiet. You could say something. You could take that guy's life away in a moment. Not only... He didn't take away his life. He's giving him life. Hashem is giving the guy life. He gives him more energy. He's spitting at God and he gives him more spit to throw back. That's power. To be able to keep quiet when there are people who are out to get you. When people are talking about you. When people embarrass you. When people are trying to to divert all your plans. It's a very special, special place to be. But you need the power of shitika to keep quiet. I'll end off by telling you one more type, one more department in shitika. So far we spoke about saying the right things but in the bigger picture, not good. And now we spoke about keeping quiet to be a nirdaf when people are after you. 
And the third one is a different kind of shetika. It's not necessarily keeping quiet by not talking. Because there are times in life where you have to talk. For example, someone did something wrong, either to damage himself, like your son, your daughter, your student, sometimes your wife, sometimes your husband, people that you care about, that you want to tell them something. Of course you have to say something. Like I mentioned before, sometimes you have to respond when someone says something about you. Because if you don't respond, by the way, just a side point, if someone just makes fun of you and you don't respond, just because you want to be a nirdaf, so you're probably a rodef again. Because you are making that guy a rodef. You don't care enough to try to help the other guy. Who is rodef you? Being a rodef is a very bad place. And you're letting people rodef you without trying to help them? That's also not so good. You gotta be careful about that. Close parentheses. Don't be so happy when people are rodef you because they're not in a good place. And if you could help them stop being rodef you, you need to. Otherwise, you're rodef them. Because all you have to do is say, by the way, please don't talk like that. It hurts me. And they would stop. But you chose not to. So they keep doing it because of you. So it's not so simple just to keep quiet. It's a very fine line. Anyway, there are times you have to talk. But even when you have to talk, there's a midah called shetika. How could that be? I'm telling you to talk, but talk with shetika. How could that be? Here goes. One example. Sometimes it's just not the right time to talk. Which means you have to talk, but not right now. You may have to wait an extra two minutes or an extra ten minutes. Sometimes there are people around. You can't talk to your children right now. You can't speak to your husband right this second. You can't address it this moment. The person is very angry. So do you have to talk? Yes, but not now. Right now, you need shetika. You gotta keep quiet. It's the wrong time. Sometimes it's a minute, sometimes it's a day, and sometimes it's years. Is there a better example than we find by Yaakov Avinu? He waits almost 50 years. Reuben did something that was not appropriate. It says, Vayishma Yaakov. He heard, he knew. And only at the end of his life, 50 years came out, he waited. And to tell him that he did a terrible thing. And she says he was afraid that if he told him too early, Reuben would get so discouraged that he would go off the derech and he would join Isaac. Wasn't the right timing. So Yaakov had shetika for almost 50 years to wait for the right time to tell his son that he did something wrong. I don't know that we'll have 50 years to wait. I don't know if we have that strength. But 50 minutes, yes. Maybe 50 hours. So even when you have to talk, there's shitika. 
I must share with you this unbelievable pasuk. This is so beautiful. It deserves its own class. Story of Eliyahu Navi. Eliyahu Navi basically is very upset with the Jewish people because they weren't doing the right things. He says, Kano Kineti. He was like a Kanai. Very zealot, they call him. Because Am Yisrael was doing this and they were doing that. So Hashem tells him, listen to this. Hashem tells him, go out, Eliyahu. This is all a Melachim Aleph, Perek Yutet, if you want to see it. He doesn't say, go out. Ve'amata Bahar. Stand in the mountain in front of Hashem. Ve'ine Hashem over. I'm going to be passing. Whatever that means. But look how he describes how Hashem passes. He tells Eliyahu, Ve'ruach gedola ve'hazak. You're going to feel a very powerful wind. What kind of power? Mefarek harim. It's a wind that could flatten mountains. Umeshaber selaim. That will break rocks. That's how strong the wind will be. That's coming in front of Hashem. Before I come, you're going to feel this crazy wind. Wild wind. But no, Eliyahu. Lo baruah Hashem. That I won't be coming with that wind. There's going to be a big wind coming before me. But I won't be in it. Ve'ahar haruah. And then after the wind. Ra'ash. There's going to be a crazy noise. Wow. You're going to hear noise. You're not going to believe what you're listening to. Lo baraash Hashem. But Eliyahu just know. I'm not in the noise. That's not who I come with. Ve'ahar haraash. And then after the noise, after that passes, esh, you're going to see a huge fire. Fire like he never saw. But Eliyahu, lo esh Hashem. But I'm not in the fire. Ve'ahar ha'esh. But after the fire, kol demamadaka. You're going to hear a still, thin sound. That's where I am. What is the idea of that? First comes the wind, I'm not there. Comes the noise, I'm not there. Comes the fire, I'm not there. And when you hear a sound, very thin sound, and you're letting your ears, what is that? Can you hear it? Hashem says, that's where I am. What was the message? What was he trying to tell him? Says the Malbim. The Malbim explains beautifully that Hashem was telling Eliyahu that he should learn from Hashem. That when you're leading people, whether it's your students, your community, your friends, your children, your grandchildren, the most effective way to lead and help people is not with a strong wind. You're not going to find me, Beruah. The strong winds 
aren't going to help the people you try to help. The big ra'ash, the big noise, loud, go yell, scream. It's not going to do it. Big fire. No, no, it's not going to work. What's going to work? Cold mamadaka. Very light. You could speak very loud, but very light. The tone doesn't need to be loud. Your message could be very loud, but your tone could be very low. That's Hashem telling Eliyahu, learn from me. I don't come, not in wind, not in noise, and not in fire. Every mother and father should learn that. Every rabbi should learn that. Every person should learn that. Called the Mamadaka. There's a great story I saw about a great rabbi. They call him the Admor from Ruji. I don't know if you know the Hasidim, they have something called the Tish. Friday night after dinner, they come, all the Hasidim, to spend with their Rebbe. Big long table, they have food, the Rebbe sings, they have a few words of Torah. They, okay. So this Rebbe, the Admor Mirujin, he had a very interesting tish. He would sit there with all his Hasidim, they would come after dinner. He would sit there for I don't know how long, let's say a half hour, and he would just keep quiet the whole time. That was the tish. Every Friday night they come, keep, he's quiet the whole time, and then they leave. Shabbat Shalom. So one time a goy happened to be in the room. And he walked out of it, and somebody asked him, by the way, what are they doing in there? He says, he says, there's a lot of people sitting around the table, and there's an old man with a long beard sitting at the head. And he is silent while all the Hasidim are listening. <laughs> What a beautiful description. He is silent while they're all listening. Sometimes the silence is the loudest noise you can make. Call the mama taka. You don't have to yell. You could be much more powerful. That's what Eliyahu was told by Hashem. And that's what Hashem did with Miriam. It says, when Miriam spoke against Moshe, look what it says. They spoke against Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem did not like that. But look at the reaction. When he called Moshe, Miriam and Aharon to speak to them. Vayomer. The word Vayomer. You know this Vaytaber? Vayyomer is strong. Vayyomer is soft. Vayyomer shim'una devarai. He says, please, Miriam, Aharon, please listen to me. And he explained to them why Moshe is different than who they thought he was and why their complaints were not right. Why did you speak like that in my servant Moshe? He told them. And then after the conversation, the Pasuk says, Hashem got angry with them and left. Obviously something wrong with the order. Usually you get angry and you tell the person. 
Here it says Hashem spoke to them, come, please listen to what I have to tell you. And after he finishes talking, he shows them anger and leaves. Our rabbis explain that if God would have spoken in anger to them, there's no shot they would listen. He only got angry after he spoke. He wanted to show them what was wrong. But when he spoke to them, very nice, very low, very quiet. Imagine, Hashem is speaking to who? To Miriam and Aharon. The best student, the best rabbi. Can't get better than that. But if you're doing it in anger, they're not listening to you. So take that as a rule for life. Nobody's listening to you ever if you're saying an angry tone. It's not going to work. That's also called shitika. It's not shitika from talking. It's shitika from the extra noise that's coming with your words. You don't need it. Called the mamadaka. It's much louder when it's quieter. And the last one. I'll tell you a beautiful story. Listen to this story. You know, we're used to having mahloket. Every gemara is a mahloket. Everybody's arguing. It's a beauty of the Torah. This one says this, one says that. We fight about it. But it's interesting that once it wasn't like that. Once upon a time, there was no mahloket. When Moshe Rabbeinu gave the Torah, there was no mahloket. Was, everything was clear. The first mahloket in Am Yisrael. When did it happen? It happened in the time of Hillel and Shammai. These two great sages. They had a mah- the first mahloket, interesting fact. The first mahloket in Am Yisrael, Hillel and Shammai, what were they arguing about? Something you probably know nothing about. It's when you bring a korban on Yom Tov, if you're allowed to do something called semicha, which means leaning your hands on the head of the korban, we're not getting into it now. It's not important for them. Can you do that on Yom Tov? Or you can't do that on Yom Tov? Bet Shammai says you cannot do that on Yom Tov. You cannot be somech your hand on the head of the animal on Yom Tov when you bring a korban. Hillel says you could. Yamana says that one time there was a Talmud of Bet Hillel comes to the Bet Amikdash and he's bringing a korban on Yom Tov. And guess what he does? He puts his hand on the animal. He's doing so like Hillel. One of the students of Bet Shammai walks in and he tells him, Mazo semicha. What kind of semicha is this? As if to say, you're not allowed to do that. He answered him, Hillel's student, Mazo shetika. What kind of keeping quiet is that? Now listen to this. Comes Abaye in that Gemara and says, Ah, I just learned something from this Gemara. I'm telling you, if you came today just for this line, it's worth it. Says Abaye, that's why I said it till end. That's why it says Abaye. Abaye says, I learned from here that you should never answer somebody more than the amount of words they answer you. He told them, Mazo Semicha. He answered him, Mazo Shetika. Period. What is he trying to say? What does that mean? Count the words? What it means is that if you need to answer somebody 
whoever it is, answer exactly what the issue is. Do not add. For example, you told your son, please pick up the medicine from the pharmacy. Your father needs it. You call them again. Please do not forget. Pick up from the pharmacy, they're going to close. Do not forget. And for a third time, you call them again. And guess what? He came home and he did not get the medicine. Now, that's not a situation you need to keep quiet. You have to say something. You shouldn't yell, but you have to say something. But say exactly what happened. Don't start saying, oh, by the way, you always do this. Just wonder, you did it yesterday and, you, and, and the week before. You know, and by the way, you do other things too. Let me tell you about other things you do. You know, your whole life is a mess. We just realized that today. That is a disaster. Abaye says, I learned from here. Mazo semicha, mazo Address the issue at kan. Because as long as you're addressing the issue, you're pure. It's coming from a good place. The minute you add, it's coming from bad character. No good. That's called shitika. It's not a shitika where you're keeping silent. You're talking, but you know where to stop. Easier said than done. But it's a reality of success. A person must know where to stop talking, where to put the brakes. You can't learn how to drive if you don't know how to put the brakes. You can't talk if you don't know how to stop. That's a different type of shitika. So far we have three examples of how the boundary of shitika. Could you imagine that people, imagine we just kept this class from the day that we were 12 or 13. Imagine how much more simha and enjoyment we would have in life if we just knew the boundary of when not to respond, when not to talk, how to talk when we have to, how to stop after we started, what kind of tone we should use. It's an unbelievable boundary that we need to really pay attention to, do hazara on review, and start to live it because we will not be able to reach a life of pleasure in the physical world if we cross the boundaries of the mouth. Have a beautiful day. Beautiful.